That looked like fun, huh? Yeah. That was um, pretty impressive. Uh, I, I think the thing I like the most is the smiles on the faces, like at truly enjoying themselves. And, um, and then my second favorite was watching Megan pull Brent into the raft. <laughs> it's official. Megan to do, can do anything, right? Right? Did I see that correctly? That was pretty impressive. No? All right. Well, hey, uh, it's good to be back. Remember me? I remember you. I want to thank um, Brent for uh, covering a couple weeks, and then last week, uh, Dr. John Tompkins. Um, very cool that we have those types of people within our church and um, allow me a chance to go to Alaska with my family for the very first time. I saw um, a bald eagle go by, very close. I saw a salmon swim up the river right in front of me. A salmon. It was really pretty cool. Um, and then we ate a whole bunch of stuff that was slimy, slippery, and alive a few minutes ago. So that was kind of fun. And got to see some uh, great things. And Gabe Bongiorno, that you guys uh, remember from our church, who's enlisted and stationed up in Fairbanks. He came down and spent some time with us and the whole thing. Uh, and then this last week, Monday through Friday, uh, I was speaking at a summer camp, a houseboats trip uh, up at Lake Shasta for uh, Cedar Grove, like just down the road uh, in Livermore. And um, the reason I mentioned that is um, it was great. And I was reminded that there are wonderful churches out there doing wonderful things, promoting the Lord and teaching their young and the whole thing. And I got to see somebody, uh, I got to see a church totally disconnected from us and yet just loved everything that they were doing um, and how hard they were working at being a church and promoting truth and the whole thing. Uh, that was the theme, one truth. And so... Um, Great fun watching a couple kids come to Christ and baptizing. Um, and then I sit in here in the front row and watch a video of our own camp and think to myself, that's the same kind of stuff we're doing. And it's why we're here. It's why we're a church. Um, and how fortunate are we to be able to put on things like Camp Rock coming up starting tomorrow um, and continue to be a Christ-centered, biblically-based, compelling, casual community. And uh, very excited about that. Very excited to be back. Um, fun to see um, all the people on stage, huh? All the young people and, and all that kind of stuff. And watching um, the worship team doing well, doing wonderfully. Bryce who? Right? <laughs> kind of a little bit. No, no, that'll never be true. We love Bryce and the whole thing. But um, just uh, need to see the level of volunteerism within the church, especially within the worship team. Um, and then I just want to give you a quick update. We're, we're going to have an interim lead person in worship ministry, and that's going to be Ashley Baldwin moving forward uh, before we... And we're, we're still working on long-term filling position and defining what we're going to do, and candidates' names are already starting to come in and the whole thing, but um, very excited about a Ashley's willingness and uh, James and Howard and the rest of the team. Uh, willingness to work together and and do that so please be uh, praying and supporting amen? amen and then the stage starting to decorate uh there were several of us here yesterday building and setting up and the whole thing and just the excitement 
Um, please be praying this week. Um, I, there's shirts and assignments and students and the whole thing, um, but we want God to be here and be honored and glorified in the whole thing. And um, there's people that have put a ton of work into this, um, McGrogan's and the Baldwin's, and there's even more. Um, and we just want to see what God will do in the lives of kids, right? Um, part of what blew me away this week was watching a community that's been a community for generations that is still following the Lord and they're raising up next generation, each generation, um, to follow the Lord. And it was, it was great. It was touching. Although I'd like a little more shade at my camp. <laughs> it was so hot up there. Anyways, let's jump in. We're continuing our series in the book of uh, Romans. We're chapter 5 today, Romans chapter 5. Um, the title is God Shows His Love. I'd say that that's what we saw in the videos. That's what I saw this last week. Um, I want to see it from this passage this morning because Paul's going to make some great points about uh, the lengths to which God has gone to make it abundantly clear that you are what? Loved. Loved. Let's pray and... Um, and then we'll hit the ground running. Lord, thank you um, for all the reports and all the things that we get to hear about and the things that are coming as to your people attempting your work to make you known. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless that, keep us on track, make us efficient, and pray, Lord, your will be done in it. We thank you for our time this morning, the fact that we can do it with your word, guided by your spirit, uh, written down generations ago, that we might be communicated to, and that one of your major messages in that is that you love us. And just the fact that you reach out to us with your word and try to communicate to us, uh, may we be reminded, even before we start, that that's an attempt to connect with us. That's proof that you love us enough to try. Pray we'd see that more this morning. Bless this passage as we read it. Uh, guide what I say and may your son and you be glorified and honored and may your spirit bless it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Men. Uh, Romans chapter 5 uh, starts this way, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by, what's that word? Faith. Faith. Thank you. I, I can't tell you how great it is to be home because I was at a summer camp and I was speaking, and there was like, I don't know, 60 something people or whatever. And um, I was doing what I do here with you. And I would just like to say how grateful I am that you are trained so well that you know that there are interactive portions of the morning or the lesson or whatever. It took me about three or four teaching times with this group for them to figure out there's times where I'm going to ask questions and you have to speak up and I had to prod them in the whole thing. Um, so it's great to come back and say, what's that word? And you all yell faith. Uh, let's, let's do a quick glance back and remember that's what uh, John Tompkins talked about last week from chapter four. Chapter 4 was a discussion about faith being a foundational piece as to our experience with God. Um, there's all the things that God does for us. There's very little that we can do in response, 
but probably one of the greatest is just to have faith, to trust, to believe, to experiment, to chase that. Um, and, and I loved uh, what John did in explaining Paul's writing in chapter 4 about how Abraham had faith and a relationship with God long before circumcision. And we think, what are the signs that somebody's a Christian? What are the signs that somebody's close to God or has a relationship with Him or is a follower? You know, did they get the right tattoo of a cross that's the full size of their back? I was watching a video the other day. <laughs> this guy had a cross. It filled his whole back, which I thought was absolutely amazing for him, right? Um, but is that a sign that you have faith? You know, for Jewish culture and, and the Hebrews back then, it was circumcision, and you were considered a Jew once you had that happen. And uh, Paul says, yeah, but wait a minute. For Abraham, that didn't happen till years later, decades later. God came to him first and said, follow me. And Abraham said, yes, that's called faith, and we can have that too. Uh, Paul continues here, verse 1 of chapter 5, and says, this is how we're justified. Now, I was very frustrated most of my growing up and learning in churches and hearing youth pastors and teachers and such talk about things and they'd get to a big word and i'm scratching my head in the room thinking i must be the only one who doesn't know what that means but i'm not going to say anything so you just kind of swallow it and sit there and they keep going and so that's why i generally when we get to big words i got to make sure we define them because um no man left behind amen that's right. Justified. I've been justified. Is that good or bad? <laughs> like, let's define it to make sure it's good or bad. Justified means made right. It's, that's the simplest, quickest. I like the, the cheapest, like if a preschooler can understand it, definition. Those are the ones I like. Now I can build color into it and use big words as I get older and mature, but I want to at least start on the right foot. Made right. And made right according to who determines right. Right? So I, I got some rights that I believe that I think's right and some wrongs that I'm against. And they hold no water before God. Um, one of the questions I was asking this week to students um, is, have you ever been proven wrong? Way too many times. <laughs> Several today already, right? Um, we've been justified according to what God says is right. He says, you're good. This, this is long before we do anything. right? And what we're going to see through the course of these next group of verses is that um, what God does for us, He has done for us prior to our birth. So what's our role in earning any of it? Zero. But He makes us right according to what He calls right in His own eyes and says, you can access that if you trust Me, believe in Me, follow Me. That's a great little piece right there. Um, and we have to explain it because this is what He said. Therefore, this is true. And now He's going to build the rest of His uh, passage out of this, right? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace. Do we have peace? Are you experiencing peace? Um, one of the things that Jesus said to us, He said, you will know the truth and the truth 
shall set you extremely comfortable. Is that what he said? He said he'll set you free. What does freedom look like? When I know the truth, how is that freedom? Uh, I'm free from all the options I was entertaining about what could be true. And I can then calmly chase the truth. That's freeing. And I think it's hand in hand with peace. When I'm concerned about something that's going on in my family and I don't know which way it's going to go, there's angst. When I finally get clarity and I know everybody's okay and my family's going to be good, that's peace. When I know what the truth is, when I know that I have a God on my side, no matter what comes at me, I can be okay. That's, that's freedom. That's peace. And what greater topic for us to experience that in than our relationship with the Lord? That ultimately, end of day, end of story, last couple chapters in the book, when God, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the bright and morning star says, hey, uh, remember that tree of life I banned you from way back? Here's access. Who wants in? When I know that's no longer in question, oh, rack them up. Let's play because we can do anything now. If I know my salvation and at the end I get to be tree of life with Jesus, I get to ask Peter some questions, I get to mock a few guys, I get to meet Uriah the Hittite, which I think is one of like, that's my e-ticket ride right there when I get to heaven. If none of that is in question, then I can go through life with, with peace. I'll be okay. And threats are no longer threatening. How do we get to that place? This is a little sub-point as we look at this idea of peace. Uh, verse 2, Through Him we have also obtained access by what? By faith. We have access to something because we believe in Him. Into this grace in which we stand. <coughs> if we are standing in it, it says in which we stand. Is that present? Does it imply that Time's going to go forward with us standing in it. That means that it's ongoing. We have a grace that we are experiencing now, and there's more to come. That's, that's great. You've you been to a movie, and you're all excited, and it's going really well, and bam, credits. And you're like, oh, it's over. What? I feel cheated. I want more. And then across the screen it says, we're coming soon, right? You know, the, the sequel or whatever. It's like, ah, yes, there's more. That's what we should understand about this, that there's peace, there's faith, there's grace, and there's more to come, right? God shows His love. Look at the top of your outline. It says uh, Romans chapter 5, because we always put the passage first because it is highest of priority, Right? And then it says, title, God shows His love. Is, that, is there a typo there? If there was a potential typo, what would it have been? And let's assume the typo would have been wrong for the purposes of this exercise. The wrong typo for that title was if we changed an S to Ed. Ed. 
God showed His love. That'd be a past tense, finite, one-time action or series of actions that are over and no, no more. That it says shows. God shows His love. What's implied in that? It's, and now it's more than about time. It's about Him and who He is and continues to be. So we're going to make a point to that at the end when we get to the fill-ins that I want to make sure is huge. That salvation is just the beginning. We figured that out. So we treat As Christians, we treat salvation as the final, as the end. All we got to do is get people to come up to the stage and raise their hand or bow down. Say the prayer. Now we have our fire insurance. We're good. That's it. What if instead of the end game, what if that was like, that's what we lead with, and then there's supposed to be a whole myriad of stuff that goes on beyond that, after that, in addition to that, built on that. That's where we're going. That's where we're meant to go. Uh, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Hope. Um, hope is all, have you met hope? She's an odd cat. She's always talking about the future. Are you following that? If hope were a person and they were always talking about the future, what does hope intrinsically have to have? Has to have time ahead of it. Can't hope in something that's past. Hope is, oh, I hope I get a good lunch today. I hope the sequel comes out soon. That's a statement about future, right? So we have all these little things that Paul's hinting at that salvation is just the beginning. And then we're going to move on. There's a trail to blaze beyond salvation, which is great to do. And not only that, verse 3, but we rejoice in our sufferings. I think I read that wrong. We rejoice in our... Do we, do we rejoice in our suffering? Hey, you know what? I'm going through a divorce and I'm so excited. No. Hey, I'm having a procedure that cut me open a bunch of different ways. I'm going to be recovering for months. It's going to be awesome. No. Is, that, is, that, is there a way for us to rejoice in suffering? Because that sounds sarcastic or he's pulling a fast one on me. You better explain yourself, Paul, or I'm out. Make a grand statement like that. How, how do we rejoice in our suffering? Because here's what we know about suffering. As you go through suffering, it produces endurance. Apparently, suffering is just the beginning of a process. Let's find out how that process goes. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance, what does endurance produce? I know it says character, but who, whose character? Yours. What does endurance produce? It produces you. Right? I, I love the great theologian who said everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Yeah. Real theologian. Well, I mean, some theologians learn the hardest way possible, right? By doing all the wrong things, right? I'm related to some of them, actually, by the way. Um, we, it, 
it shows who we are. When you have suffering and you have to work your way through it over time, that, that's when you get to show whether you've met hope and you hang out with her or not. Where you believe that there is a time in the future where you'll be okay. And if that's o- true, then you're okay right now. I can be okay right now in the midst of difficulty. Folks, that's what um, in psychology they call learned behavior. Never is that innate. That has to be trained and practiced and honed and a skill to develop. Well, what do you produce? Or what does your character produce? <laughs> well, let's talk about your character. If it's bad character, it's going to... Pre- you know you're going to produce something always you're always producing the question is is it good or bad right and character produces hope you know people that lack character are afraid why is that that's an interesting um suggestion i've just made Some would call it truth. Some would call it a hypothesis. I submit to you that if you you have bad character, you're afraid. Everything must be manipulated for fear of what might be. You operate on fear. When you have good character, when you believe that God is in control of all things and that His intent is good, that He shows His love, there's always a way of escape. And there is always a way to endure it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. If you're a Bible person or you're a note person, write that down. 1 C-O-R 10 colon 13. It's a great verse about how there's always a chance. There's always a shot. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And hope does not put us to shame. Kind of hope that God gives us when we make it through tough times and follow Him. Uh, God never shames us for that because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's where we start to get our title. God's love has been poured into our hearts. Um, how has how God proven his love how god how has god shown his love how is god showing his love in your life i am um i'm a a professional i'm i'm a certified pessimist I, i got a document somewhere i gotta find it but i don't think i will because i have doubts on whether i could find it because i'm a pessimist um do 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 you believe positively that God has done some things for you just for you even to be here? You know, um, students like to ask the circular questions. Can God make a rock that's so big that he can't move it? You know, trying to put God in a conundrum. Can God make a rule that he cannot break? Can God make a rule that he is allowed to break? Blah, blah, blah. How far is too far? And we're talking about their intimacy and relationships and all this kind of stuff. And um, I love when, the, when, I, when you talk to students with the one question that they ask, whereas uh, when 
um, bad things happen to good people. Right? How come like babies die and puppies get kicked and things like that? And I said, well, one, show me a good person first. Because that question assumes like a, a fallacy that Jesus outright spoke against because they called him, hey, good teacher. And he said, good. No one is good but God alone. Ooh, our standard for good just changed. But when you get back to the student and get in and stop doing the Bible study uh, Sunday school devotional answers, you say, wait, are you still breathing? What? Yeah, you, you're mad because you got sick or somebody died or whatever, but are you still breathing? Uh, yeah, what do you mean? Well, at least you're still here. There's some grace. You got any good relationships in your life? Have you ever experienced love? Have you been provided for, taken care of? Have you been, ever been healed of something? I mean, there are so many different ways where God has shown His love. The fact that we continue to breathe, that's Him showing His love. Right? I, I, would, I would say this. I was joking with the kids at the, this camp. You know, what do you do for a living? Where do you work? I said, oh, it's the weirdest thing. I don't work. They're like, what? I said, yeah, I have a job. And I get to preach on Sunday mornings on a stage at a church twice in one day. And they're like, oh, that's work. No, it's not. It's a joy. It's a privilege. The fact that I even get to do that, is that proof that God does good things to bad people? <laughs> it sure is, right? And then they're looking at me like a dog who's heard a too high of a pitch sound. Well, what? What are you talking about? Making them think differently, right? Um, but it has been given to us. Verse 6, For while we were still weak, while we were still triggered, while we were still sensitive, overbearing, entitled, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. What's the right time? He says at the right time, um, God... Christ died for us. I want you to think about that for a minute. I'm just going to play a song over here. Not, not the right time for that. Um, how, how's, it, how's it right time? And God's timing? We had a, we had a timing event uh, last night. There was timing going on. And the timer went off at the right time and we got golden dark gooey brownies it was the right time as determined by us right and somebody whoever came up with the recipe and the ingredients and said yeah i gotta bake it at this long for this time right um god having a plan of ingredients and a time yes it doesn't involve us at all Does this say, let's go back to the little English exercise I did earlier on shows versus showed. Let's go backwards on that one. This said Christ died for us. Christ is dying for us. No, it's not ongoing. That happened. It's over. What was the right timing for Christ to die for the ungodly before they even existed? Before they knew their transgression. How cool that you could be justified... Remember we said made right. Prior to even existing. 
prior to your first spanking, right? You come out, cut the umbilical cord, whack. Prior to that, he says, I'm going to tell you what you're worth. How much, about, how much I love you. Love that. Blow you away a little bit more. Prior to the cross, he's already proven his love for you. How's that? Came down here. Did he come looking for you? Yeah? Did he, did he wrestle with Jacob? Do you walk down into the garden? The first time somebody makes a mistake, does God show up on the scene and say, what? what are you doing? Where are you? Who told you that? What have you done? All right, what's with the big conversation? Why not just, bam, lightning, take them off the planet? So much more efficient. Like people would obey if every time they did something wrong. Wham! Hey, you remember Fred? He was a good guy. Too bad he sinned. Now he's gone. But I like the little burnt spot in the street where he used to be. Right? Why does he still keep us around? And prior to the cross, he's doing all kinds of stuff to prove that. In fact, he was proving it so well that anywhere he went, people would show up and crowd to the point they would fill rooms to where standing room only in the doorframe and bleeding out into the street, and people still wanted to see him. So they cut a hole in the roof. Four guys dropped the cripple down right in front of him because this is the only way we could get access to him. And Jesus says, no problem, kid. I see your faith. Don't worry, your sins are forgiven. One of the greatest things ever said. Here's why. Cripple shows up, wants to get healed. And God says, no, there's something more important than that. You mean our sin nature and our status before God is more important than whether our knees work? Absolutely. And yet we would have still missed the point. Because more important than your sins could be forgiven, what did you just do? What did you just claim? What is mandated in who his nature is. If he says your sins are forgiven, the Pharisees figured it out in an instant, in a nanosecond. They said, no one can say that but God alone. More important than your inabilities, more important than your sin nature is who's talking to you. God's in the room. Dang! As a kid, I thought the greatest part of that story is at the end, he says, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. How cool. He healed a cripple. That's like the lowest level hanging fruit on the bottom shelf of the whole story. You know what's on the top shelf? What he said right before he healed him. He said, which is easier to say? That your sins are forgiven? Or get up and walk? But, and here it is, so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. Well, that means He healed him. Is that what's going on there, Scott? Is that why you're so excited? No. What I'm excited about is He has yet to go to the cross. He hasn't died on the cross yet. 
He just makes a statement, as God, sins are forgiven. I don't have to do the cross to forgive sin. I can conquer sin in a statement. I can make you better in a statement. And let me prove it to you. See, God has been showing us at the right time for as long back as we can remember. Long before He died on the cross, He designed you. He designed me? Yeah, you're exactly the way He designed you. Well, I don't know about that. I'm not really liking the design. He thinks it's perfect. And He's proven it so many different ways. Problem is, you get stuck on the right time thing because you think right time is your time. And you don't have any time. All your time is borrowed. He's like, I can die on the cross later and show you some things and I can do this and I can do that. But do you have faith because that's what's going to make you right that's going to give you hope that's going to help with future that's going to set straight now so that you're on the right step right foot right pace yeah while we were still weak at the right time christ died for the ungodly amen for one will scarcely die for a righteous person verse 7 though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die little logical insert there about, you know, I guess I concede there might be a situation. But God shows His love. There's your title. Um, I'm trying to make sure everybody sees that I don't make any of this stuff up. I'm a thief. I steal all of it. Right? I'm pretty sure that I'm okay in the Ten Commandments where it says, Thou shalt not steal unless it's truth from Scripture in order to teach on a Sunday morning. Right? I stole the title. There it is right there. But God shows His love for us. It's actually the verse I put at the top of your outline as well. Um, in that, why we were still not just weak, but sinners, Christ died for us. I love that. There are very few places in all of Scripture. This is a pretty heavy general statement here. Okay? Pretty overarching statement. There are very few places in Scripture where the verb about God is past tense, definitive action. It's over. Died. Period. That's done. And usually, most often, it's about what He's done for our redemption, for our salvation, for our grace. That that deal, that work, it is finished. Amen? Almost everything out about who God is, His character, what He does, it's ongoing verbs. God is this. God does that. Right? Because he, he continues to exist. I love that our salvation is not an ongoing verb. It's a definitive action that already happened. Our justification, our sanctification, our development, our maturity, right? Uh, where we stand, that's ongoing. That's a continuing verb. But I love that it's past. Christ died for us. For sin or for us? Christ died for people, folks. Not for bad stuff. Now, he, when He died, it paid for sin. It covered sin. It obliterated, wiped out, separated us from. Yes. But the intent, the purpose was for us. Right? 
Uh, Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled. Now here's a word you're going to see three times here. We won't spend much time on it, but to be reconciled is to be brought back to where you originally started, where you were meant to be. Uh, We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Shall we be saved? Shall we be? What's the time implication there? It's ahead of us. Salvation is part of our future. It's part of our experience. Our salvation is a finished action for Him but it's an ongoing learning curve for us. How cool is that? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through through whom we have now received reconciliation. We're made right. Past tense, completed action. Verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, (gasps) sin came into the world through one man? I thought it was Eve. I thought, wasn't it her fault? I mean, Adam even said when God said, what do you did? And he was like, dude, it was that chick you gave me. It's her fault and your fault. That's not me, right? Hey, generations later, when, when Paul talks about it to the Romans, notice she doesn't even come up in the conversation and neither does the serpent. God gave instructions to Adam and, and he dropped the bucket, right? Came through one man, Adam, and death through sin. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. They died. Not that exact day, but in that era, right? And so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who sinning, was not like the transgression of Adam. We all sin in different ways. Who was a type of the one who was to come. It says Adam is similar to the one who was to come, only totally different. The one to come was Jesus. They're opposites. But the free gift is not like the trespass. Verse 15, For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many that is like the longest run-on sentence please explain it scott because you lost me three lines ago no matter what adam did no matter what you do what christ did as the one man to come to receive to redeem us it's greater than all of it combined no matter how bad it gets jesus is more amen That's how they're similar. They bring something to the table. (laughs) Jesus brings something good. Adam, not so much. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass, next slide, brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more. Here we go. The whole sentence changes right here. Much more what? Will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign 
in life. If you have faith in Jesus Christ and understand that dead or not on the cross at any time, He has the authority to forgive sin. He's written to you. He came to the planet. He's done everything He can to get your attention. You believe in that, then you can reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Reign in life. Um, once you're redeemed, once you're saved, we're going to reign? Does that imply there's future? See, again, I'm making the argument. Uh, salvation is step one. There's supposed to be a big old game after that. And for everyone, it's different. But we're meant to continue. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. This is great. Especially for you that um, still believe in that word fair. Well, I don't know if everybody should have a shot at salvation. It's not fair. Some people did a bit of and God says, no, 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 I define fair. And if it's fair for everybody to experience sin, then guess what? It's fair for everybody to have a shot at experiencing salvation and righteousness. And I made sure it happened. And I made sure that we wouldn't have it for eternity. That's why I blocked you from the tree of life at the very beginning of the book. And I'm going to solve sin and salvation and grace and love. I'm going to prove to you what it's like. I'm going to beat you over the head by showing up on the scene, by giving you writers, by giving you loud, obnoxious pastors. And by the time we get to the end, if you actually have faith, then I'm going to open up access to that tree of life again. That's how it's supposed to work. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded a little, all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And may the Lord bless the reading of His Word. Amen? Um, does God win? Always. And in the midst of His game that He's playing, that He will win no matter what, He says, I want you to see what I can do. I want you to see that I love you. I want you to see how the game works. I've been uh, telling you guys, especially through our last series in Hosea and such, um, that God is trying to describe for us and make clear reality. That one of the things we get out of the cross is a clearer picture of reality. How does life work? What are the rules to God's kingdom? And I love what Paul does here in the fifth chapter of Romans where he says, salvation, done deal, completed action in the past. Now you get to move forward in faith. And we get to do that because that's one of the ways that God shows His love. Um, what are some things we can take from this? i got three of them for you this morning. The first one is this. God's grace precedes us. God's grace precedes us? What's that mean? Who, who was first? Him or us? Yeah, He was first. And in going first on his turn, we played a um, we played a board game in while we were in Alaska, which is hilarious. I haven't played a board game in I, I can't remember the last time. I played a board game, and everybody had to take turns. It's so frustrating and glorious 
to watch the current generation have to wait for someone else's turn. No, you can't do that yet, right? In our relationship with the Lord, who went first? Jesus. And what did he do? He said, um, let's have the game won. And now on your turns, you just get to experience the game. But winning is no longer in question. See, he precedes us, right? And then there's a subtle one because it talked about when we were weak and when we were sinners and when we were ungodly. There's, a, there's another piece that really um, we need to get into our subconscious. Not only did he precede us, but he exceeds us. He, he takes the seeds out? No, he's more than us. And I tell you what, uh, this, this is what culture is really having trouble with today. My fear is it's like some of the passages in Scripture where we see places like Sodom and Gomorrah or different characters in the Bible who, who just said, you know what, I think I know what's right and I'm going to, you know, I don't need a king and I want to do what's right in my own eyes. And we see how those stories go. And our culture right now, especially modern Western culture where we live, they think they exceed God. They think they're more. They think they define truth. And it's, it's a rough road. Um, you, know, you know what's great about that for, for us as Christians? Um, we get to be here to pick up the mess. Um, when they fall and scrape their knee, we can be here still holding truth, cleaning them up, bandaging them up. We can be the good Samaritans who stick to truth, stick to God, and when, when people finally figure out that chasing their own way and doing things w- that are right in their own eyes don't work, in fact, they crash miserably, catastrophic fail, that when they're a mess and they need somebody to come alongside them, they can find comforting, gracious, compassionate, loving Christians. Why? Because they understand that God has preceded and exceeded them and that it's true about the others as well. You probably can't move forward unless you buy these two as a Christian. You can move sideways or backwards, but as a Christian, unless you can buy these concepts, and I mean holistically, not just in your thinking, but in your experience, in your family, in your genealogy, in your workplace, that God is before you there. He's before you with all those other people and He exceeds you and them and He has an agenda. So erase yours and never create a new one. Because we've got to figure out how is He ahead of us and how is He more than us for us to join Him. And say, looks like you're having more fun, God. Can I play your game? That's how that one works. Um, We see that in verses 6 and 8. Second one, Christ's gift was a beginning. Christ's gift, this salvation, I've alluded to a couple times. That, That was meant to be the bottom shelf. That's where we start. That's the foundation. Christ's gift was a beginning step. It was a beginning step. Right? There's supposed to be a process that goes on beyond that. Oh yeah, I know where I'm supposed to feel guilty all the time and go have to serve on the mission field and go without water and food and 
you know, I'm supposed to be miserable and suffer and the whole thing. And um, no, stop being a pessimist. It's not a negative process. It's not another process. It's a bigger process. Bigger than what? Everything. Bigger than your thinking. Bigger than your experience. Bigger than other people believe for you. How about that one? God believes in you more than anybody else and doesn't care what anybody else says about you. How can we get to the confidence level where we believe that first step has been taken and that there's a bigger process and I want to jump into that bigger process so that I can underline words only, step bigger. Oh, that was clever, Scott. What did you do there? I said, it's time for us to start stepping bigger. Step bigger. Why? Because He precedes us. He exceeds us. He's already taken the first step. And there's a big game going on here. There's people out there that are yet to know Christ. And if you'll spend a little time and a little energy and explain it in such a way, they might walk to the back uh, behind all the folding chairs and meet with the counselor and their little... um, communion cup thing and talk about how they want to come to christ and they don't care if they're in the middle of a lake in 95 degree weather they want what they've been missing because they've been processing and getting very little we need to start believing that there are people we can invite to church there are people that we can invite into our homes there are people that we can go and meet them where they are because them going anywhere is too much but you can go be by them support them show love and mercy and then say um this is bigger than me because this is not how i normally function i'm a jerk and a pessimist but God got a hold of my life and has shown me how to like do stuff for other people rather than just always serve myself. I'm a recovering narcissist. A narcissist is a person who focuses always on self. Right? For those of you who need a definition. Um, because there's a bigger process going on and I want to learn how to step bigger. Amen? When we say Christ-centered, biblically-based, compelling, casual community, it's a it's a call rally to get you guys to help step bigger as a church put people in houses bring kids to christ send students off to places where they can be with god and get closer to him recover marriages or recover people because the marriage is over support in times of need all those kind of things because the game's already won amen last thing because Christ's gift was uh, the beginning step in a bigger process, and because He precedes us and exceeds us, then the Holy Spirit is from now on. The Holy Spirit is from now on. It says, who has given us His Spirit? Why? Because stepping bigger means in the future you're taking steps. How easy is it for us to misstep? I, all I need is a, is a moment with my ego, and I can misstep. I'm a professional at that too. But if I have a Holy Spirit, then salvation can be the beginning step. 
Christ's finished work on the cross can be a completed action in the past that shows me who I am and who he is. Opposite order, by the way. And then now I can say, now game on. Let me go get other people. I do whatever it takes. I'm going to grab them and drag them to God the best way I can. What's your um, path look like moving forward? Many times we believe, and I think um, rightly so, based on chapter 4 and what Tompkins covered last week, and then this passage, that faith is something that we believe in Christ's past actions toward us. Our faith in that should actually be pushing us to, where am I going next? What kind of woman am I going to be? What kind of man am I going to be? What kind of follower? What kind of ministry will I have? Well, I, I'm not in full-time ministry like you, Scott. I have a blue-collar job. No, you don't. White-collar, blue-collar, it doesn't matter. You have a ministry, period. That's the only way God looks at it anymore. And it should be so awesome and fun for you that you don't call it work. You look forward to it. Why? Because you're part of something that's went before you and is greater than you. And you've got a spirit in you saying, yeah, let's have some fun with this. Rack them up. Let's play. Let's take some risks. What are the risks? What are the bigger steps you can take moving forward? That's your homework assignment. Amen? Lord, thanks for this morning and thank you that you are a God who takes the biggest steps. You take them long before we're around or even have any plans. You're a God who have, has perfect plans and you're a God that involves us in those plans. Thank you, Lord, for that being one of the ways you show your love to us. We look forward to the ways moving forward where you will continue to do that with us. If you are here, if you're listening online, if you've never taken the first step and you realize there's even bigger steps ahead of you, but you need to take that first step, you can do that through a simple prayer. You can talk to one of us on staff. You can say it by yourself. You can shoot us an email. You can do whatever you need to do to signify that today I start walk. I stand in you, as Paul said it, from now on. Continue to show me meaning in the cross. Continue to show me who you are. And guide me from this day forward. I accept your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior. If that's you, let us know. I thank you for the offering that we're about to receive. Pray you bless it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Amen. You can tell there's going to be a little energy this week, and you're going to pray every day for Camp Rock. Yeah? Amen. Uh, the Lord shows His love.
may you show yours as well. Go with him.